Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Scott Jose. Scott is an ordained pastor in the Christian Reformed Church in North America. He serves as the first director of the Center for Excellence in Preaching at Calvin Seminary. He's also been a member of the Pastor Theologian Program, sponsored by the Center for Theological Inquiry in Princeton, New Jersey, where he briefly served as pastor in residence. Jose is the author of several books and resides in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with his wife and two children. I give you Scott Jose. Scott, welcome to the podcast. I am a big fan of your work. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to be on the uh, on the podcast. You have indirectly contr- contributed already. I use your lectionary starters on the Center for Preaching Excellence website every week. I can't recommend them enough. They're really terrific. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that. And here we go. Right, let's jump right into these texts. We got at the during Easter tide. You know, I guess redemptive historically here. Acts kind of takes the place of the Old Testament reading, right? And here we've got Peter coming on these Gentile believers, these uncircumcised believers, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, and the people are, you know, the people with them, the circumcised believers, uh, they're astounded that this that this happens. And then Peter says, you know, can anyone? withhold the water for baptizing those people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So here we have the sort of opening up of the community of the kingdom, so to speak, to people that are not ethnically Jewish. Right, right. And um, you see this really all through the book of Acts. Uh, this is going to be a learning curve uh, for for the apostles. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what they thought they were going to encounter or how they thought the Holy Spirit was going to lead them along. But what you see is sort of a presumption that this is going to sort of, uh, well, obviously it's beginning in Judaism. It's beginning among the Jews. But the assumption seemed to be that uh, although the message could come to all people, they would uh, need to become Jews first, uh, and then, of course, they could be uh, become also followers of Christ, because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. What what Peter and the others didn't see coming was that the Spirit was going to get out ahead of them and uh, start pouring out the Spirit uh, on people who, uh, the Spirit didn't wait for them to become Jewish first, or start observing the law, uh, or keeping kosher food laws, or getting circumcised if they were males. Um, and so that that was one of the great surprises that you see all through the book of Acts, um, that the Holy Spirit doesn't wait uh, to, to do things the way we think uh, the Spirit ought to do things, or, or the way we thought it was going to go. Um, the Spirit really takes off like a rocket throughout the book of Acts, uh, and this this whole business of um, falling upon people who, um, uh, you know, weren't Jews first, and obviously didn't need to become Jews first either, uh, you know, the, the apostles had to scratch their heads over that one a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because it makes one think, right? So often we think, well, all right, let's bring Christ to this place, 
as the church, as opposed to where, you know, Irenaeus says, right, Christ and the Spirit, like right and left hands of the Father. Like, where are the hands of the Father already uh, molding the clay? Or where, you know, where are they at work and, and discovering them as opposed to thinking that we're always bringing things? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I work at Calvin Theological Seminary. And uh, here at the seminary, and then also at Calvin College uh, on the same campus, we've become very involved in prison ministry. In recent years, uh, we took a lot of inspiration from the uh, the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, which has had a major spiritual revival the last 20 years or so. Uh, and now we're starting similar programs in prisons here in Michigan. And I, I know I've had at least a couple of my colleagues say to me, um, you know, we when we went to teach, so we've been teaching courses in these prisons and actually offering a bachelor's degree now um, at, a, at a prison here in Michigan. But I remember my colleagues have said, you know, I kind of thought I was going there to, to kind of bring God and, and to bring Jesus to these men who are behind bars, only to discover God had been there all along and was way ahead of me uh, and had been doing things among these uh, these prisoners for a long, long time. Uh, and that's, I think, often the way it goes. Um, that we, 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 we come up with what we think is a new idea, but it turns out God's been involved in it and been laying the groundwork and preparing the way for a long time. And that's, that's pretty much what the apostles discovered as well. Yeah, I think of Daryl Guter's book, um, he's my advisor, The Continuing Conversion of the Church, how it's, it, it, the church is, is continually converted in its mission, right? That, I think of this, this right. what you're describing here is like, you know, you go there to bring Christ and actually you meet Christ exactly. through the Spirit. Exactly. Uh, already, already busy, already active, already doing amazing things, and um, uh, and we just sort of have to um, jump into the action that that's already going on. Um, uh, and, and that's, I think, often what the church has had to do all along: is um, we didn't initiate the action. It's all by grace. It's all by God. Uh, and so we just sort of get to go along for the ride and uh, contribute as best we can um, to, um, to to what God's up to. on here to first john first john five one through six uh you the epistle here that john here is talking about how jesus uh is and everyone who believes jesus is the christ who was born of god and it's got the gray line everyone who loves the parent loves the child by this we know that we love that, that we love uh the children of god when we love god and obey his commands one of these great sort of exhortations to loving uh, one another in community, probably, I guess, probably in the context of some controversy and the people that are probably, I guess, not being, obeying this commandment are the people that are in the rival faction, I would guess, right? Probably. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a little bit difficult to know uh, always what's, um, what's going on uh, in the church to which John is writing. Certainly, um, you know, one of the things that we know for sure is that, um, they they clearly had to be reminded about as often as they could about the need to to love right uh and and to um to, to if you're loved by god if you love god then you're going to love other people uh and and that's that's pretty much all there is to it so john just keeps kind of coming back to this again and again and so whether um how much of this was needed for the people sort of right within um uh, the congregation or congregations to which he's uh, writing needed this, or whether these were uh, kind of words directed to some rivals. It's, it's hard 
hard to say, but um, one thing's for sure, John's very clear, it doesn't really matter who um, you encounter. Uh, if you're going to be obedient to Jesus, if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you are for sure um, going to um, um, love as Jesus did. That was the great commandment, right? The new command I give to you, uh, love, love one another. Yeah, it's so interesting to you, right? This tangible commandment to love is so linked with the tangible reality of the incarnation in First John. And Peter Lighthart and his has a great little commentary on this book called From Behind the Veil. And he actually argues, he's the only person I've ever heard argue this, but he says, you know, I don't think that, he thinks that there's a great possibility that the the opponents here are, are not Gnostics, but Judaizers like Galatians. Because mm. he said what Gnosticism and Judaism both have in common is they want to keep the veil intact in different ways that, you know, that, that you know, the, the veil has been torn apart at the temple right. or Gnosticism, you know, we want to keep sort of the spiritual realm separate from the tangible realm. So this kind of linking between, you know, the way you will love tangibly and physically is you, you embrace God come down in the flesh, getting, you know, in the mess of this world and, and that somehow you connecting to that reality, that love spills over to one another. Right. And that's, um, I think, um, it's interesting that, you know, in, in first, second and third John, um, that is the, the only place in the Bible. I mean, the, where you find the word antichrist, right? People tend to think that because this antichrist thing has become a big, scary thing that's been taught that the antichrist is coming. John uh, often uses it in the plural to refer to anybody who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Anybody who says Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that's an antichrist. Um, that doesn't rule out there maybe being some really big final antichrist figure someday, I guess. But it is interesting that um, John, in, in these epistles, that's the only place you find the word. And it's anybody who denies the incarnation, anybody who denies Jesus coming in the flesh, which could have been referring to the Gnostics, as you said, those who had sort of this spiritual uh, emphasis to the exclusion of, um, of, 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 of esteeming the physical creation and our physical reality. Uh, but right, John is saying the incarnation makes it both. Um, there isn't this great divide, this dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh or between the life we live here on earth and some ethereal spiritual realm floating up above us somewhere, that they're one. They became, and, and, and God has always seen them as one. And if we ever had any doubts about that, the coming of the Son of God in the flesh um, cleared that up. It is this world. It is this reality that God values. It is this world. It is this reality that Christ wants to redeem. Therefore, it is in this world that we are called to love and to, and to follow Christ, and that'll go right on uh, until finally you get to the end of the Bible of Revelation when indeed heaven and earth definitively merge um, into the new creation. Um, uh, so, Right, that the, the earthiness and the specificity of the incarnation tells us where, that this is the arena, where if we're going to love each other, if we're going to obey Christ, it happens right here. Yeah, Lightheart in his commentary, says, it says just that. He says, you want to know what God is really like, take a look at the gospel. If you have seen Jesus, if you've seen him in the manger, seen him tempted in the wilderness, seen him passionately fighting the Pharisees who oppress his people— freely offering himself on the cross, powerfully rising again from the dead. When you have seen all this, you have seen God who is love. Jesus did all this out of love for us. And because his father sent him out of love, you want to see the love of God read about Jesus 
forever has seen Jesus has seen the Father. All right. Yep. Yep. That's it. Exactly right. Speaking of Jesus, let's go on to the gospel reading. Here we have John 15, where Jesus exhorts his disciples that as the Father has loved him, so he uh, has loved them and encourages them to abide in love, to keep his commandments. And, you know, again, the great love command is, is reiterated, and also the sense that they didn't choose him, but... But he chose them, and they're appointed to go and bear fruit that will last uh, in the way. He's sort of sending, sharing his own mission with them. Right. Exactly. Yep. And that, of course, is uh, exactly what you get um, uh, all through uh, the Gospel of John uh, and continuing on into the Epistles of John, which we're, we were just looking at. Um, and it's all very interesting. You know, I think. Uh, one of the things that we really teach our students at at Calvin seminary where I teach, we really do want to teach them to preach grace, right? We don't, we want to want to prop up some of this DIY spirituality that is out there today where it's all sort of about uh, what you do and your effort. And uh, we we tell our students don't end your sermons with to-do lists. People love it. If you end your sermons with to-do lists, because it kind of says, Oh great. Now here's what I need to do to stay saved. Uh, right, everybody that preaches please. the law waters it down, right? So that, to the level that it can be kept. <laughs> like, right. So right. as if it's not, it's it, people forget like the Sermon on the Mount where like where Jesus is saying, well, even if your intention is impure, it, it's like somehow if, if the law is preached in a way, right, that you think you can keep it, <laughs> it's right. been preached the wrong way. Right, right. Uh, again, even though people will will thank you uh, for for sermons, it seems to leave it all up to us. Uh, but that cuts against grace, and and so we teach that. But then of course you get these back. Just like this one, uh, and others, of course, where Jesus says, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And um, uh, the Great Commission, the end of Matthew, you know, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And it's sort of like, well, there's that. Uh, what you know? What? But again, the thing to remember for Jesus, the thing to remember uh, for John as he reports on Jesus here, as well as John when he writes his epistles, um, is the same thing that that we always emphasize when we're thinking about the Apostle Paul, and that is that the indicative always precedes the imperative. So you are in Christ. You have been baptized. You have a new identity. This is who you are now. So now the imperatives of Paul all come down to be who you are. Be who by grace you have been made to be by baptism. And that's Jesus' premise here, too. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to people. He's already called in. Follow me, right? Um, That was the clarion call from out of the clear blue sky, follow me. Uh, So they've already been brought in by grace. They're already kingdom insiders. The obedience part um, flows out of the grace. Um, All of our acts of obedience, all of our acts of loving one another are sort of gracelets. They're the the little graces that flow out of the the big grace, where you think of a kind of a three-tiered fountain, you know, where the water flows from the top tier to the second tier to the bottom tier and all over again. And that sort of grace spilling over uh, in our lives. So all of those commands... um, uh, are, are premised on grace. They don't. They don't earn you grace. You can't earn grace, but they're premised on grace, and and that's what Jesus is saying. If you've been made new, if you are a new creation by baptism, by water and the Word, uh, then you're going to act differently. Um, and so uh, Jesus 
talking this way and giving commands and uh, and so forth isn't undercutting the way we get saved. It's it's part of the whole package. And um, I think Jesus knew that. Paul knew that. And we preachers today just need to remember that um, so that we don't. We're already part of a culture that's kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, make your own way through the world, uh, earn it, earn everything you get. Um, and so it's really easy in our preaching to kind of fall back into that larger cultural ethos and therefore undercut grace. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right, because so much preaching, it, it, I guess the advantage of some of that kind of preaching is people come and, and driven by all sorts of brokenness and anxiety and stuff. And it's sort of a bait and switch, right? Okay, well, I'll distract you with another problem. It's sort of like if if you uh, if you you know you hit your uh, finger your th- thumb with a hammer and somebody and somebody steps on your foot and says well now see your thumb's not hurting you're thinking about your foot <laughs> and so like well we'll give you another problem and it, it just turns into like a big self justification project right right uh, and again um, uh, because um, because I think we really do. Um, have this we've imbibed this this ethos this self-help do-it-yourself ethos um that shapes our thinking more than we think even in terms of uh of christianity and so um what what preachers have to do uh, and, and it's not just one sermon right it's sermon after sermon after sermon week after week after month after month after year after year even build up this theological sensibility uh in their people um so that they hear these these commands, these calls to love, these calls to obedience, they hear them in the right context. And you're not going to talk people into that just on, you know after preaching for a week or two, or just have one really really good sermon on grace alone, and that'll do it. Um, now, there's too much uh, counter uh, messaging going on that they imbibe day after day after day. So um, it's an ongoing process, I think, for us preachers to to, to keep that that cart and horse in the right order. There, that it's grace all the way, uh, and the obedience part is. Um, just sort of the gravy. It's the cherry on top uh, once you've been saved by grace alone. Yeah, I heard Tim Keller say once, anytime you come to an imperative in the Bible, you should ask the following questions like, what does this text ask me to do? Why can't I do it? How does Christ fulfill it? And how does he live it through me? And I thought that, like, I mean, it's a little, it's a little formulaic, but there is something that really, like, it's a good toolbox, right, for the, in, to, for the indicative imperative kind of relationship. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Um, because otherwise, uh, if you don't do that or have some some spiritual uh, mental exercise that you do, like what Keller was suggesting, if you don't do that, then it's easy to receive the imperatives of the Bible the way you would receive them anywhere else in life, which is do this or else. <laughs> um, whereas um, in in the Bible, it's um, do this because uh, because you've already. This is. I mean, that's what Paul always does. In his letters, it comes out really clearly in First Corinthians, uh, where, where you know he so often comes back to saying, "Do you not know? Do you not know who you are? Don't you remember that you're one with Christ? Don't you know?" Uh, so Paul's like always jogging their memory to say, "You you, you were baptized. Um, this is who you are. So act like it." Um, uh, and and that's the context for Paul's imperatives as well. Frank Lake, who's a Christian psychiatrist, he a blessed memory now. He died in the early '80s, but. He wrote this amazing book called Clinical Theology, which is it's like a thousand pages kind of integrating psych- psychiatry and, and pastoral theology. But he talks in this one section, he talks about sleep disorders and all the maladies that come if you get the message from zero to two that acceptance is a reward 
as opposed to if you get the message that acceptance is a gift. And he gets all this into how you how people that don't get this message, if at a very early age they're accepted as a gift, it, like they can't dream properly, right? Because they can't free associate. And you, they always have to have the sensor on the wall, so to speak, to guard against the subconscious. And it, it's fascinating. So, but that, so much of human development bears this out, right? That if we get this message that acceptance is a gift then we tend to live into the fruit of that giftedness. And if we get it that it's a reward, we tend to be transactional and self-interested. Right, right, yep, yep. And again, a lot of that stuff is going to deepen our bones and deepen our cultural DNA. Um, so to uh, uh, for, the, for the church to overcome that, um, uh, that that's just sort of a, a relentless uh, process that we preachers have to have to deal with week after after week. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the great uh, African American preacher and writer um, uh, died this week. James Cone uh, died just the other day, uh, and I always remember years ago somebody asked James Cone why the sermons uh, in black churches tended to be so long, uh, and 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 Cone's reply was, "Well, six days a week, culture is telling black people they don't count for anything." So come Sunday, it takes a little extra time to talk them back into remembering who they really are. Um, and I think that's true for all of us, no matter what our, our race. We, we live in a world, a competitive world, a competitive culture, which is all the week, all the live long, week long, telling us uh, where worth is found and how value and merit accrues. Uh, and it's all very secular and it's all very... Um, it's all up to you. Uh, and so one of the things we preachers need to be doing in churches on Sunday is talking people out of that um, and reminding them of who they are in Christ by grace alone and, and letting that become the frame for all of our living every day. Yeah, I think about Schleiermacher, the great 19th century German theologian, says, you know, sin is essentially God forgetfulness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, for, you forget the reality of, of the God who is love. And has come touched the world in love, and, and that's where the root of all evil probably starts. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think you can even see that right from the beginning. You sort of kind of forget about God or distort God a little bit, uh, as uh, the, the serpent in Eden did already with Eve, uh, and the rest goes from there. Any closing preaching tips? I mean, I know again we've said you 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 do some great lectionary starters every week. Any any closing thoughts where you would steer preachers? toward this week um on these particular texts you mean or just yeah generally? yeah or in general whatever it's a yeah. dealer dealer's choice so to speak all right good well you know one of the things that i try to emphasize with our students uh who haven't been pastors yet but they will be um but one of the things i i emphasize with our students and this is sort of something I remind myself of every week when I start writing uh the sermon starters for the center for excellence in preaching um is that you never really want to get to the point, uh, well, I'll take the really out. You never want to get to the point, period, uh, as a preacher, where you've concluded that the Bible can no longer surprise you. Uh, oh, John 15, 1 John 5. I've seen these texts before. I've read them before. Nothing new here. So, you know, same old, same old. Um, I think people that come to church sometimes get that impression, and sometimes that's aided and abetted by uh, uh, preachers who sort of take the same ho-hum attitude. I, I think we, 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 we should expect... Uh, the Bible to be surprising. We, ex we should expect the Spirit to do something, even with the most familiar text that we can think of. Uh, we should expect the, the Spirit 
to uh, to do something surprising. Show us something we've not ever seen before, no matter how many times we've read John 15 uh, or come Christmas, no matter how many times we've read Luke 2. There's something in there yet uh, that, that the Spirit might pop out at us this week. Um, that'll make things fresh and, and new uh, as though you've read it for the first time. So, you know, I, I think that's that that's just a generally good attitude to have, um, a willingness to be surprised by the Bible, uh, a willingness to be open to the Spirit, to look for that, uh, to expect that. Uh, and then when that happens, that's sort of the where the lights go on and a new sermon is born. Well, I hope the lights go on by, by grace and through the Spirit, all of, you know, for our listeners. And Scott, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, great. Again, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Scott for being on the podcast, and thanks again to you for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.